Hello and welcome to the Midweeks with Pastor Rob. It's Romans time. We're going to continue on with our series on Romans, and I'm doing this partially for uh, my friends who are in this Romans book study with me. It's uh, week one for us, but chapters one and two in the book. And for anybody who's listening to the Midweeks, this is for your blessing as be- and benefit as well. And so I'm going to look at the greetings of the book of Romans. This is the largest uh, book or epistle in the New Testament. Epistle is a formal letter. Okay, so people would have written just really casual notes. Sometimes they would write notes on just pieces of pottery and hand them off, but an epistle is kind of a fancy word for a fancy letter. And you can tell as we go through this letter that it's very well thought out, organized, plan. It's a large, long argument, and then it's sent from one person to another. That's why it's called an epistle. And this is Paul's greeting. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this, for an, an ancient epistle, this, it's a fairly common way to start where you say, this is me, and this is whom I'm addressing, and then some sort of short greeting, which is different than how we tend to write letters in North America. In North America, you usually start with the, to whom it may concern, you, you address the person, and then you write your letter, and at the very end, you sign it, who wrote the letter, and, which doesn't quite make as much sense as to actually put who wrote the letter at the top. I think more formal business letters might have the sender on the, at the top, but... Um, you know, in English, you'd say, dear so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. You go from there. This is a common way of doing letters in the Old Testament or in the New Testament times. You, address, you, you start off with who you are. You greet the people you're sending it to. And then you have a greeting. So you have this kind of wishing health on them or something like that. And Paul makes a lot of use of his greetings. Um, he uses explaining who he is to unpack the gospel and actually give us highlights to many things that he wants to talk about in his letter. So he mentions a bunch of things, but I just want to uh, highlight a few of them. First, I want to talk about the word called. Okay, called, that, that word appears twice in our English translation. First, it's Paul, who is a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle. So he says, I'm called to be an apostle. And then he ends or gets closer to the end of his self-identification by saying that he is, um, his apostleship is to bring about the obedience of faith to all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And this word called is an important word for Paul and an important word in the New Testament. It's this picture of God in heaven summoning a people for a purpose, okay? God in heaven summoning a people or a person on purpose. And so what we have just right off the bat, we have, we're learning about God. God is not passive. 
God doesn't sit in heaven waiting around for us to plunk our prayer coins into his vending machine and then press our buttons for what we want. He's not passive. He's active. And the reason Paul is writing this letter is because God took the initiative with him and called him to be an apostle and gave him a mission. And you can read about that more in Acts. And he's writing to a people who are also called. The the Christians in Rome are called on purpose. They're called to belong to Jesus. And so this word call already has a ton of weight and will have even more weight as the letter goes on. But we're, we're being introduced as soon as we start this letter with who God is. He's an active God. And he's a God with a plan and a mission and a purpose. And he works out his plan by calling people for purposes. And if you're a Christian, you have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. God, at some point, in some method, summoned you, some method, summoned you to belong to Jesus. He said, Joe or Frank or Greg, I want you to come and be Jesus's. And in that, in that calling to belong to Christ, he also gives us callings for missions. Specifically for Paul, he was called to be an apostle amongst everything. But, you know, generally speaking, if God calls you to salvation, if he calls you to belong to Jesus, he also calls you to be on mission for Jesus. And through one sense or another, you have a calling, a mission, a purpose, a job to do for Jesus. So this is right off the bat, God is introducing us to this God who calls. And it, what it reminds me of is in the Gospels, when Jesus is baptized, one of the first things he does is he comes out of the water and he starts looking for disciples and he goes and finds Peter and John in a boat and he says to them, follow me. And they do. There's this compelling call where the word of God comes with a summon and changes who you are. And these disciples were summoned by the Son of God to become disciples of Christ, and they did. And they were given their apostleship and their preaching ministries out of that. The next thing I want to just highlight is sonship. Okay, God, uh, Paul introduces his his mission as an apostle, apostle to preach the gospel. And the content of this gospel is a being who is two sons at once. Jesus, the Christ, who is on the one hand in his flesh, a son of David, and on the other hand, demonstrated or revealed to be the true son of God by the Holy Spirit, raising him from the dead. That's kind of the stamp that the, of approval, the kind of revealing the birth certificate. Who is this person? Well, when he came back from the dead, it was revealed that he is the Son of God. So there's a lot going on here. Now, I said last time that Paul has a particular eye to the Jewishness of his audience or a lot of Jews in Rome. And it was imperative that if he's going to have their support, that he um, answers many Jewish questions, as well as he's very concerned that this Jewish and Gentile church figure out how to do life together. And so right off the bat, as he's introducing his, his calling to be an apostle, he acknowledges and rejoices in the fact that Jesus is, according to the flesh, a son of David. And by doing that is just acknowledging that God is fulfilling his promises to David that one of David's offsprings from his own body would sit on the throne of Israel forever. P- Paul is saying, 
the gospel I preach fulfills, is part of God fulfilling his promise to David in that David's son has come. This true son of David, this true king of Israel, he has come. And at the same time, this son of David, who the Jews were looking forward to to be their deliverer and their redeemer, turns out to also be the true son of God, God, very God, the eternal God, the word of God, um, and that God demonstrates this by raising him from the dead. And these aren't mutually exclusive things. They overlap in a major way. However, both of these things are going on and they do get unpacked in the rest of the book of Romans. Now, one thing I want to highlight, because it's struck me as being very interesting, um, Paul mentions that his apostleship is for a purpose, both to preach this gospel and also to bring about this thing that he calls the obedience of faith. And that phrase, obedience of faith, as far as I can see, doesn't appear in the rest of the ESV translation of the Bible. I didn't have a chance to look at the Greek yet, but... Um, it only appears at the very beginning of this letter as well as at the very end of this letter. And so there's kind of these bookends that Paul purposefully puts into this letter, this concept of the obedience of faith. And one of the things that Romans is really interested in answering is, um, where does the life of holiness come from? Where does obedience come from? Does it come from the law? Does it come from Moses' law? Or does it come from somewhere else? And so Paul is, is saying right off the bat, I'm talking about a kind of obedience that comes from faith because faith is a key thing for Paul here. And he's not here to say, if you believe in Jesus, you don't have to obey God anymore. You're free to fulfill all your desires and to be who you really are and to accomplish all your dreams and hopes and visions and God will be there in the stands clapping for you no matter what you do. That's not his gospel his gospel is a gospel of free grace through Jesus Christ, but it points in the direction of faith. And so he's saying, my ministry is here to bring about the obedience, the true obedience to God that can only flow from real faith. And so I just wanted to highlight, this is a key thing. And as you read through Romans, you'll be looking on how Paul's trying to hold together the freeness of righteousness through faith, where God is a free gift makes you okay with him and declares you to be righteous. And at the same time, this call to a real life of real holiness and real obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing thing. And so here are some highlights. And Paul captures all this stuff, all this stuff I've talked about, and I could keep going on. This is all just a part of Paul saying, Dear Romans, I'm writing you a letter from Paul. Amazing.